It's sort of rude. She's it's just not. take the fucking thing and throw it away if she doesn't want it. No, it's why you know, I and- offer. I don't. I don't because people have food allergies. You know. Yeah. Right. That is weird because some culture they get violently upset oh, when yeah. people don't accept. It's like, all right, well, you just gotta take it. Valid cultures do not turn down <laughs> small gifts. <laughs> Cast Iron Brains, a podcast that doesn't even care about college football. What? What's a college football? Never even heard of it. Doesn't sound very cool or good. And no, I would not like to discuss it further. Thank you. My name is Bob, sitting across the way from my good friend and co-host. That's Abe. How you doing tonight, Abe? Doing well, Bob. Abe, happy birthday. Happy couple birthday, days later. That's right. Abe. The big three. We nine. won't give the. Uh, I know you keep it sort of it's on vague. the down low. What you, the precise birthday. date is, but within the past week, yes. Abe has aged once again. <laughs> Happy birthday! How's it feel? Not too shabby so far. Eleven years away from ARP eligibility. <laughs> Shut the fuck up! <laughs> I looked into it. Counting that down. It's That's fifty not years true. old. Yeah. No, it's not. Oh yeah, I can be in those commercials. They'll change it goofy... by the time it's us. Shut up. <laughs> Lori's here too. How are you doing, Lori? You know how I'm doing. Well, here we are. Abe, it was a tough weekend for the Georgia Bulldogs. Our our listeners demand many hours of college football talk here right at the start. So we have to placate the, the rowdy fans that we have out there who want nothing more than for our expert analysis right. of the goings-on this weekend. Hey, what the fuck happened, man? <laughs> I believe I uh, characterized it as like no possible scenario that this would yeah, happen. Yeah, that's what fucking happened. And then, and I think we even like entertained like what would it look like? And by the way, we both expressed a great deal of confidence going into this weekend because of all of the all of the available evidence. This is very typical of of male male communication where you both. And here I am sitting here as though there are only two people in the conversation. No, 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 not true. We (laughs) both. No, but specifically, Abe and I, you know, Mm -hmm. Lori obviously was much more skeptical of George's chances going in, a little bit more wary of the situation that we were in. But based on all of the available evidence, as I was saying, before I was so rudely interrupted by the the female in the room. uh, (laughs) You have to do to be heard most of the time. While we were confident, we also, or certainly I anyway, outlined almost precisely the scenario in which uh, Georgia could find themselves in trouble in this game. And we pointed to the places that Georgia was exploitable. And in fact, that's exactly what happened. The second, I, Actually, I'm surprised that the defense was bad overall. It's a bad thing. Defense the, the was awful. Secondary. I mean, by the way, just a quick aside. I, uh, I was in a... Uh, diminished capacity during the actual game uh, on Saturday. So today I watched the game again. You did not watch it again. And I would actually, this is counterintuitive, but I would recommend people in a similar state as I to, there's like, because it's goofy schedule, there's four weeks between games, right? So you got plenty of time between now and the New Year's Eve game. But do watch it. There were so many opportunities for Georgia to get back in the game. So many. But in my head, when I was watching it the night as it happened, everything was just going to shit, you know. Right. So again, but 
I I am surprised at I don't know if it was just a lack of preparation on the coaching staff, but they just look like they're just out of position too many times. And credit to Bryce Young who played like Cam Newton or something. I don't know what the hell yeah, he, he ate great. for breakfast that Saturday, but he was amazing. Like there's no knock on him. He's amazing, at least for that one night. But the defense was concerning. The part of it that was surprising to me was that we did not get to Bryce Young in a meaningful way. The, right. the, front, the way that Auburn did. Yes. Right. The front seven, that Auburn's front seven, which is not as good as Georgia's front seven, dominated that Alabama offensive line. And on Saturday night, the dogs were thoroughly dominated by the Alabama offensive line and and basically could not get to Bryce Young in anywhere near enough time to disrupt what they were trying to do. And therefore, he hit like half a dozen huge down-the-field plays uh, that we just had absolutely no answer for. Right. And now, they were up, I think it was 31-17. They were up by two scores, but it looked like the Georgia defense was settling down a bit. Like they, I mean, it could just be that Alabama had no need to score so fast, but it looked like they were settling down. But they weren't trying to run the ball. They... What was funny about that game is that Georgia goes up 10 nothing, and that was the moment that I was like, well, now we're going to find out whether or not what I thought could happen is going to happen. Because Georgia goes up 10 nothing, and you know that they're going to have to start throwing the ball, that they cannot afford those – because those first couple series, Alabama did not look very good. They were n- not able to establish the run, I, as they say. I think 10 And then nothing, we got a text from you right. at 10 nothing. 10 nothing was when I said that they can't hang with a, uh, Georgia. <laughs> and that, the bottom that, fell that, out. <laughs> that the lead was insurmountable is what you texted, as, as you are wont to do. But I, I'm, I'm going to be mad at you for a while. <laughs> the failure is on Kirby Smart. It's not on me. It's on a lot of people. And even— And you. And—, and and my dad, my dad shows up to the soccer game with like a gorgeous crimson colored shirt on. Uh, and I was like, what the fuck are you wearing? And he was like, oh, that's the color I like. And I was like, you have to leave. Just by accident? It wasn't like a... Yeah, he doesn't know. <laughs> that is uh, quite the accident. Don't worry, he's not going to be here till after football. So the rest is in the bag. I saw a nice tweet today, because I'm, I'm on Twitter now. Oh. This says, I know morale is a bit low for Georgia fans, but the path to a national championship is similar regardless of the SEC championship game result. Now, number three UGA plays number two Michigan and Bama versus Cincy. If we had won, it would be beating UGA one Bama four, and then Michigan, Cincinnati two and three. Same path. Like, right. have to beat the same two teams. But they would be incorrect because Alabama would be out, right? They don't win that game. There are two losses, and they'll sneak in some know. garbage, you know, Notre Dame or something. And they, they would. They, they could be right. wrong. We'll never know. Right. But like, and also, I mean, it's this is now two days since the game, and um, it was it was a very doom and gloom Saturday night, but. Um, you're right. Michigan actually would be a good matchup for Georgia. So Georgia can actually turn things around. It's four weeks from now. But, they'll, I mean, there's no chance Cincinnati's beating Alabama, right? Not that I should make it bold ba- proclamations. I mean, they're not, right. they're yeah. not going right. to. So then you, you're you back to square one. I mean, you beat Michigan for what? To play Alabama again. And the problem was Stetson Bennett, and he's he's been getting shit on a lot. And... Uh, 
Rightfully so, no, but Abe. It's no fault of his. He is a known quantity. He has a ceiling. He has hit sure. his ceiling. And so the You cannot expect this Georgia offense, led by Stetson Bennett, to score forty fucking right. points against Alabama. Right. That if the defense is going to give up what they gave up, then you're going to lose and the game. Eventually, Stetson, uh, uh, this this Georgia offense isn't gonna do it, it'll do it. It'll it'll score fifty points against tech. It'll do it against plenty of lesser opponents, right. but they're not gonna do it against a, a top five defense in the country, right. and, and, which is what Alabama is when they're right. Right, and it's not fair to compare him to five-star greatest thing ever, Bryce Young, but they were down 10 nothing with him, and it was like as if fools nothing. And when we were down 14, it was like this is insurmountable. You know, he throws a pick, he throws a pick six, turnover on downs. Just They were moving the ball between the 20, and then it would just kind of sputter and fall apart. And Right. The way that the defense held up, after that disastrous second quarter, the way that they were able to sort of figure it out, at least temporarily, that it was a situation where a game manager could sort of win you, right. the, could in fact claw you back into the game. He's not having to go touchdown for touchdown against another offense, which he obviously could never do. Right. But even asked to do just sort of the bare minimum, which is to not lose the game for the team, he still couldn't do that with a couple of really sort of disastrous mistakes and a couple of very big misses on what should have been sort of achievable plays. And it's it's unforgivable that he's going to be the quarterback again a month from he now. Is, by the way, uh, is I guess they're not going to talk about why JT Daniels didn't even get a look in the fourth quarter when things are basically done? He might not actually be healthy or something. I think there, like yeah, there might there's, actually there's gotta be something, be something wrong with something, him. But if that's true, then why is he even dressed? Because, like, he would have to be the emergency quarterback, right? I mean, why is he even suited up if he had a setback physically or, right? So Yeah, I don't believe any of that. I believe that Kirby Smart thinks he has his guy, and that's what he's going to go with. I think it's as simple as that. I don't understand. That. He was coaching under Nick Saban, and Nick Saban change quarterbacks twice against Georgia and this is all like stupid inside baseball stuff but Kirby's got a hard on for dudes who know how to practice and know how yeah. to prepare it's a it's a and I guarantee you it's something like that that he just likes Stetson's process right. there was that there's that somebody a couple years ago who never saw the field one of our tight ends who was like rarely on the field for some reason despite being a potent offensive weapon and the rumor was that he just didn't practice very right. well and it, it's like well all right like i i guess you gotta have principles and you gotta make a stand somewhere as a coach but at some point if it comes down to not putting your program in the best position to win and that's the thing i'm sure that he fully believes that stetson bennett gives him the best chance to win the football so? game you don't think it's there's no other explanation so, i i uh, the most terrible thing i could say about kirby smart is the, this scenario where basically he's protecting JT Daniels from either like a physical injury or some other type of issue that he's having that they don't want to make public. And so he's just kind of taking all the shit where all the fans are like, why the fuck are you still playing uh, Bennett? Right. Uh, and he's like, any, he, just by what he said after the game, and maybe that will change, but it sounds like there is not going to be any change through the quarterback position in the semifinals and hopefully in the finals. Right. So maybe I'm saying that's a terrible interpretation. If it's anything other than that, if it's like pride or stubbornness or this is how I want my team to be and it's costing you winning games, then he's a terrible coach. Because what's yeah. the point? You're not doing all this for practice. You're doing this to win, right? And so if you're not putting your team in the best position to win, then what the hell is the point? 
Yeah, and again, this is again like trying to, it's the dumbest thing about sports talk radio is trying to <laughs> psychoanalyze people from afar. And that's what we're no, doing like here. So here we are. Don't do that. But, Instead, talk about how everything's actually fine because it's hard to beat the same team twice. Sure, in a fucking minute. Fucking Nick Saban, you fucker. Any team could do it. In so. a minute. <laughs> right, if anybody's going to do it, it's going to be Satan in Alabama. Of, but if, that's the kind of stat we would have, like where we would lose, you know, they, they kept right. on showing that 6.9 points per game. Not ideal. Kirby has the sort of fundamental and undying belief that he's going to win football games with defense and grown man football, with composure and physicality, by imposing your will at the line of scrimmage and beating them back for four quarters and running the ball up the gut down their throats. This is not the offense that Todd Munkin would be running if it was purely his choice. He would be running something much more aggressive, much more willing to take chances, and much less interested in this bullshit establish your will right. in the trenches nonsense, right? And and you can say that's a you can say that makes him a bad coach. I sort of think it does, actually. <laughs> like, I think that the fundamental belief in that, something that wor- absolutely would have worked when he was a player 30 years ago, right, yeah. T- 25 years ago, whatever it is, uh, that, that is a way of doing business in the SEC and in college football 100 years ago where you it's just three yards in a cloud of dust. It just doesn't work in today's game, and it almost doesn't matter how good your defense is anymore. Right. Right, a good offense is going to trump a great Especially defense. Especially when you have almost a every time of his caliber, of Bryce Young's caliber. Right, right, and you know the thing is, Georgia doesn't have the luxury of winning in a very narrow, specific way that Kirby wants. Right, you should just win. Right, not like cheat or stab or break somebody's leg, but just any you know way that you can win, you should do that. You shouldn't be like, I want it to be this precise way, so I can, I don't know talk it up when I write a book after right. our title. And we have, we, what's, what's infuriating is that it, the reason that it worked for him in 2017 and 2018 was because he had the weapons to make it work. He had two future, he had an, a future all pro in Nick Chubb and he had Sony Michelle, who was a great college back and a perfectly serviceable NFL back for a couple of years. Right. right? But when it's Super Bowl the next year, sure. That, I mean, I don't think we can credit Sony Michelle with having won Did the Super Bowl. Did he win? But... A, does he have a ring that yeah, he got sure. the next year? Okay. The point being is that the best running back on this Georgia team is probably Kenny McIntosh, who's like the third stringer for some reason, also inexplicable. <laughs> uh, but like we don't have the guys to do the thing that he wants to do. But what we do have, in fact, is some really exciting skills position players in the persons of our tight ends, especially the freshman. Holy shit, Brock Bowers. Brock, oh, Brock Bowers is, is so a good. monster. He is amazing. And I mean, Bennett was like Crazy. looking at him too much, but like he is amazing. Right. He's great. Darnell Washington is a mismatch. Right. Constantly he's just a huge, fast, strong man who should be catching the ball, be targeted eight to ten times a game probably, and instead gets one or two looks. Made the most of it the other night, of course. And the wide receivers aren't bad either. We have Pickens, who should be a hundred percent, hopefully by the time we get to next month. And Burton's a perfectly fine player, as is AD AD Mitchell. So like there's not a lack of talent. It's, It's basically just not maximizing the talent that we do have. We're not putting him in the right positions. And that goes back to the coaching. I don't know what Kirby Smart is going to do except for pray that 
Georgia got their one bad defense outing out of the way. And it happened to be, even though in a primetime kind of event, it's of the three games, if you're going to make it to the finals, it's the meaningless one, right? Because you can't lose the next right. one and you can't lose the finals. So if you're going to shit the bed, do it this Saturday, your defense now has seen it, and then you have four weeks to game plan against a mostly running team, which should be, re- you know, a, going It'll to their strength. Right? This is to Georgia's strength. And then if you're somehow able to beat Georgia, uh, Michigan, then you have like 10 or 12 days to prepare for Alabama. To murder Nick Saban. Right. I It'll don't, be fine. I don't think, like, and again, obviously our prognostication powers are useless at this point, but I don't see any reason why Georgia should lose to Michigan. Michigan, I've seen play a few times, and yeah, they looked great this weekend over an Iowa team that obviously isn't very good either. Uh, but Georgia's a better team than Michigan yes. and should win the game. And losing would be a disaster. And by the way, it's awfully fun, the blue-chip matchups that Georgia's had the last few years. You get Oklahoma Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl with a win over them if we beat Michigan right. in this oh, uh, semifinal. Yeah. And then you get Alabama again in the championship game. No. And yeah, who knows? It's hard to win two times against any team. and it's it's. But at the same time, it's just really hard to beat Alabama in these big games. Also, maybe we just karmically need to beat Alabama in a national championship right? for the first time. But again, you know. Beat them however you can, yeah. Maybe that's how the story goes. By the way, it was— But what if we had to beat them twice? Like, it would be so much worse. It would be like in the second Hunger Games book (laughs) when— Katniss is like, oh, I beat the Hunger Games and now I'm done. And they're like, yeah, you're going to do that again this year. And she's like, are you fucking kidding me? And they're like, we are not kidding you. Come on the train. That would be so much worse. I'd like to personally apologize for that reference being made (laughs) in the past 30 seconds. You don't know anything. Talk about something else. It's 9 o'clock in our life here, and I know you have things to talk about besides football, so just let's just talk about something else. Right, and it, I, will, I will just say that it, it would be improbable for Alabama to make it through if they were to barely hang on against Auburn and then lose in the They basically would have no argument in, and so they could have just got rid of them. You don't have to beat them twice, just beat them once. And now nothing has really changed. You still just have to beat them once, and— if Mich- Michigan loses and Alabama loses, sorry, Cincinnati, I know we're overlooking you, but uh, if that happens— All the Cincinnati listeners right. that we have, sorry for the disrespect. But if that were to happen, then this will be an afterthought. Nobody will ever talk about this shellacking. But if it's right. back-to-back shellackings, oh boy. My only thought about whether or not beating the- beating them would have kept them out of the playoff is that uh, yes, probably— if we had whipped them, then yeah, you almost then, have no choice but to put yeah, but Notre Dame that's in. Not, that's not what happened. That's not what was happening. Right. But yeah, there's some fun football this weekend. The Georgia game was not among the fun football from our perspective. But uh, hopefully things will be more interesting on New Year's Eve. At the uh, the last thing I'll say on this, uh, on Saturday I went to go watch it at like a outing. And the... The hope that a bunch of Georgia fans had beforehand, uh, especially there was one guy, uh, I was eating at this Ted's Montana Grill thing, and he was talking about uh, what's-his-face Dean and how he's like the greatest Georgia player he's ever seen. And I hope that nothing goes wrong because he was 
kind of listing all of the disastrous games that he was in the stadium for. And, right. you know, this is me a couple hours before the game. I'm like, this is going to be a coronation. Don't worry. <laughs> Have fun. So yeah. on the off chance he's listening, my bad. <laughs> <'Cause>, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're bad. Right. You are bad. Well, I lost a small pile of money. You lost a small pile of money. But that's fine. We uh, we were wrong. The that's fine. Shit eating grin of Alabama fans at the end of the game. If you could bottle that, oh man, they were so happy. I think they were also surprised. That's- which yeah, is weird. But it's like, like you win that. all who the cares? time. Who, I, who cares about Alabama fans? They have like a championship for every right. year that there is. Like no one, I don't care about right. them. I don't hate them. Just like, could you just right. go away? That right. would be nice. Uh, moving along here from football. Tonight, I don't think I mentioned it, is December the 6th. It's a Monday in the year 2021. Not an infamous day. Nope, not yet. We are in the midst of the Omicron variant taking yeah, over the COVID <laughs> discussion. Yeah. I don't know how I, our people here don't have it. Nothing is happening in Georgia. The cases are going up everywhere except here. We had to keep our kids home from school today uh, under the sniffle protocols, which is that uh, Katie had a uh, mild cold over the weekend. Oh. And she woke up this morning still sort of coughing and sniffling and... If we tried to send her to school, they almost certainly would have called us before 10 o'clock in the morning and said, hey, your kid's sniffling and coughing. You got to come get her. And then Calvin would have been sent home as well. So we had to keep both kids home and then get them tested again before they can go back. So we spent most of the afternoon dealing with that. I want to play a clip here from Jen Psaki earlier today talking about— White House press secretary. Yes, she's the press secretary for the Biden White House— And she was talking about, she was asked at the press conference today about tests and uh, expanding testing access here in the United States. Look at what we've done over the course of time. We've quadrupled the size of our testing plan. We've cut the cost significantly over the past few months. And this effort to uh, to push uh, to ensure insurers are you're able to get your your tests uh, refunded means 150 million Americans will be able to get free tests. That's kind of complicated though. Why not just make them free and give them out to, and have them available everywhere? Should we just send one to every American? Maybe then. Then what? Ha- then what happens if you if every American has one test? How much does that cost? And then what happens after that? All I know is that other countries seem to be making them available for in greater quantities for less money. Well, I think we share the same objective, which is to make them less expensive and more accessible. Right? Uh, every country is going to do that differently. And I was just noting that again, our tests go through the FDA approval. Okay. Process. All right. By the way, this is the first I'm hearing this. Um, yeah, that's because I'm really good at show prep no, and no, no. Uh, making sure that I be- making sure that I forward you all of the things that I feel like talking about today well ahead of time. Which, uh, to be clear, I don't ever do. So, 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 sometimes it's better just to kind of hear it fresh. But I'm confused by Jen Psaki's, uh line of argument because I thought the approach that we're taking here in the United States is basically a two pronged approach, which is. Through the private insurance, and then for those who are fall outside it, make it available for free, right? So it's not like so didn't that accomplish a similar goal? Why were they going back and forth on something? 
I know that the UK, they do it where they just give it to you, right? But if it accomplishes the same thing, why does it matter how you go about it? Even though, so, and, and the reason that I wanted to play it is because we had our experience today, which is that in order for our kids to get a COVID test, we needed to, in order for our kids to get a COVID test that would allow them to get back into school with a negative result, we needed to make an appointment at the doctor's office, which is it, like, it's all this big, stupid song and dance where we know our kids don't have COVID. Like there's a 99%. They were tested at school on Thursday. Right. On Thursday, they got a negative test result. Like they were tested on Thursday by Friday afternoon. I had an email from the school district saying, good news, your kid doesn't have, have COVID. That night, Katie had a slight fever and uh, was at the beginning stages of a cold and sort of, you know, was congested and coughing through the weekend and was, was doing that again this morning. And so in order to get her back into school, we have to get another negative COVID test. And that involves going to see the pediatrician and saying, look, we have these symptoms. We don't think it's COVID, but, you know, I guess you got to do a strep test and you got to do the throat swab for the COVID test as well. And then we got to wait the 24 to 48 hours before she can go back. They probably won't be able to go back to school until Wednesday at the earliest. And uh, my point is that with expanded testing in a much, much easier, more diffuse and more uh, take personal responsibility kind of way, you could achieve this goal uh, of, of testing children and not letting kids back into the classroom uh, without a negative result, without all of this bullshit, right. without me. Now, granted, I don't have to work. So like, it's not a big burden to me. But it would be all it did was cost me otherwise, a, right? I mean, right. Know. It's not disruptive it's beyond a couple of hours of me dicking around on the internet trying to find shit to talk about for our fucking podcast that doesn't matter. But to any other normal productive member of society, it would be a disaster that you have to go spend two days with your kids at home because they have the sniffles and uh, and you're unable to work because of it. That would be very bad if Lori and I both Just work. for the sake of clarity, the going to the doctor to get tested, is that like a children thing? Because – I thought you could just go get tested anywhere. You can just go to a CVS, but they, your results will probably come back faster through a doctor. Okay. Like, it's not guaranteed, but, like, CVS could take days. Gotcha. Doctors usually are a little quicker. And they, there's, like, a standard that they'll accept. They won't accept a rapid, quick one, or they'll accept no. anything? Right. No, they want the, they want the PCR okay. test. They want the, the test that the doctor's office does okay. and they want the note from the doctor that says we've examined this patient uh whatever remaining symptoms that you might see for the next couple of days are definitely not covid you can allow the child back into the classroom which i get from a certain perspective it's like yeah we want to do our best to keep the thing out of the but but it, it's not particularly helping we've got we got calls on consecutive days from the school district saying that somebody in your in the school family whatever that fucking phrase means whether it's because it's not necessarily a student it's not necessarily a teacher or a janitor it could be anybody with a close contact with any of anybody oh, wow. who goes in and out of the school okay. every day so we don't know uh but you know Roughly twice a week or so since the beginning of the school year, we get a notification that somebody else in the school or in the school family has tested positive for coronavirus. And it's just frustrating that something as silly as a couple of sniffles can get a kid sent home from school for the day and they're out for half the week until they can get a negative test back. And that the only way to 
get that negative test is to go show up and spend a couple hours at the pediatrician and then have to wait for that sort of a turnaround. The way that the Biden administration is approaching this phase of the pandemic seems to be that they're still acting as though they can control the number of cases that are happening in the country. That ship has sailed. That ship sailed a long time ago. And yeah, they sold themselves as being the answer to the incompetence of the Trump administration, who appeared by the end to not be interested in controlling the number of cases. But for what it's worth, that was un- an unachievable right. goal, largely, once we got past the first few months anyway. But they're not going like they're, for zero COVID. They're just trying to, like, I guess, keep the numbers manageable. I don't, what, is the, yeah. what is the point of the travel restrictions? I don't, once yeah, the, yeah. I mean, the travel restrictions where you're shutting down travel from a half a dozen S- South African countries or something like that, saying that, uh, by the way, in three days— no one else is allowed yeah. to come in from right. South Africa, as though the Omicron variant is going to be polite and say, <laughs> okay, since you have established that uh, after the weekend, okay. no one else is going to be allowed back into your country, we'll just hang back here right. Especially in South Africa. when news was already out that this had already hit a couple of other countries, and now it's here, it's, I mean, maybe they just... Right, it's it's everywhere, and, and just because they... Once you find it in New York and in Washington and wherever the hell else they found those first California couple, was, yeah. you know yeah. that it's everywhere, right. right? There's no, and there's not going to be any controlling it. Certainly, with the way that this one apparently spreads, there was obviously anecdotal out of Norway. I think. Let me pull it up here. It was Norway. Norway. There was a Christmas party. There were 120 people at the Christmas party in Norway. And at least half of the 120, by the way, all fully vaccinated. So 120 vaccinated people gathered at a company Christmas party and at least half of the attendees, so over 60 of them, have been confirmed to have come down with the Omicron variant. And How do you say Omicron? Omicron, whatever. Omicron? Go ahead. Omicron Percy I-8. Uh, you know, so they're calling it a, a super spreader event. All of these people were vaccinated uh, none of them have died. None of them, according to the, I don't know what the official title is, some the, the, the lead health official in Norway said that nobody had even been hospitalized so far. So on the bright side, this is a highly transmissible, highly virulent strain of the, if that's the right word, vir- virulent, virulent might not be right, but it's whatever it is, it's highly it. transmissible yeah. and... Apparently spreads easily to those, relatively easily to those who have been vaccinated, but does not appear to cause uh, severe illness in those people. Right. What's also interesting about this new variant is that it seems like it reinfects uh, people who were priorly, previously infected, too. Like, because you weren't hearing well, too much of that in the past. But it's, but also more time has passed right. since people have been, right. you know, that's hard to nail down. Right. But as far as the mild symptoms, I mean— a lot of them are vaccinated. It seems like just about all of them are vaccinated. You know, the vaccine may have waned, but they're not like 89 years old, right? So these people who are doing I don't know what, I will never understand these super spreader events where it's like 100 people were dicking around in some party. There's 3,000. Hey, where were you this there weekend? There were 3,000 people where I was. And nobody's, everybody's fine. There's no spreading, nothing. I don't understand what they're doing at these events. Are they like doing things? Because... Not to victim blame, but there's just no way 
I keep on hearing these super these are some spreader famous vent. last words you're speaking <laughs> yeah. into a microphone. <laughs> if if there was Omicron in that in and the tabernacle the on Saturday. Oh, yeah. If it was there, it's in me now. But you know, my <laughs> Pfizer vaccine will hold it back. But no. I, I think the mild stuff is owed to in part the people are not very old, they're regular age, and they've already gotten a vaccine, which is not gonna prevent it, but it seems like it's kinda helping. So like Well, and also maybe in these other places with these super spread I mean, some of them are in America, but maybe they're just being tested more. Yeah. Maybe. Right, which is sort of the point that I'm making here in my roundabout way, which is that the thing that the Biden administration can actually control is not how far and wide this virus is going to spread. We are past that point. Three quarters of Americans are vaccinated. Uh, that is a, a staggering number. Something I think it's even higher. I think it's like 83 percent of, of eligible of, Americans or Americans. No, like 83 percent of Americans have received at least one dose of the vaccine. Like it's a huge number. Uh, it's a it's a wild success, actually the extent to which we have vaccinated this population against this disease. And yes, uh, it is frustrating, and it, and it is still something, at least through Delta, was a quote-unquote pandemic of the unvaccinated. Uh, with Omicron, that doesn't appear necessarily uh, to be the case any longer, which is that this will spread to the vaccinated population. Right. And the good the good news is that it is a mild uh, it appears anyway at this point to be a mild version of the disease. And if we're super lucky, and, and maybe this is the variant we've been waiting for all along, right? Now, this is a dumb layman's way, certainly, of approaching the problem. But if you have a highly transmissible but relatively easy-to-get-over version of this virus out there, uh, that's really good news for for herd immunity. It means herd immunity is actually possible. 60% is the number that I found. 59.9. Well, that's fully... Of what? Uh, Americans fully vaccinated. At least one dose, all ages is 71%. 12 and up is 81%. And then if you're 65 and up, over 99%. At least one. According to the New York right. Times. So I, I actually read something uh, interesting about that because there are some localities where... Uh, they're reporting 120% of their seniors have been vaccinated against is this the, the virus. Booster stuff, or what's going on? Yeah. Are they not? No. So what happens there is that people die fast. <laughs> they die faster than they can come off the count for Aww. who's been vaccinated. Oh boy! Because because they're seniors anyway, right? And they're not. I'm not talking about. I'm just talking about yeah. the regular attrition of old people. Yeah, like they just die. So, is sometimes. that they just they just die, and so there so are because more people vaccinated, 100% alive. Right, so so, yeah. so uh, people age into the senior category at a at a certain rate, and so we count those new people as vaccinated seniors when they get their shot. But then people are dying, and we're not taking them off the I vaccinated see. rolls, I, and so that's how you end up with those that like highly improbable number right. of ninety nine percent of all seniors have been vaccinated. It's almost certainly not that. It's just that it's actually a very hard thing to count and keep track of. Gotcha. But yeah, so t I thought I was had pulled that number from the New York Times, that eighty three percent number. But maybe it I might be like eighty three percent of 
you know, a certain like Virginia or something. A, the old people or a, over a certain yeah, age, but it I says United States is sixty percent, fifty nine point nine percent. Sure, but that's of the population, and if we're talking yeah. about eligible people, Abe said it's like eighty one percent, right? Is that what you said? Well, Laura's doing fully vaccinated. I'm just doing at least one. And at least one. Right. Yeah. So 80, if 80, 80 plus percent of Americans have received some protection against this virus, to say nothing of the natural immunity that comes from actually catching the thing and then getting over it, which is uh, a robust defense itself, then we are, in fact, in a really great position to endure this thing on the long run. And that that is the only way that the Biden administration can frame this as a success going forward, is to get away from this idea that they're going to control the number of cases that are spreading among the population. That is not an achievable goal. An achievable goal is to test and understand the parameters of the problem that we face and then respond accordingly. Now, you're not concerned about the uptick of the cases. It's, I think the Washington Post does seven days instead of 14, and it's up 70% from a week ago. The positive, you know, it's like 120 some odd thousand. So this could continue to trend up like it did last year, get to like 150, 200. And the deaths should probably go up a little bit. I mean, they're already over a thousand as it is, right? So this would be a success or we're just basically trying to keep the numbers where they are and not get worse. I don't, so I don't think that, I think that it is a mistake to frame whether or not the Biden administration succeeds around the, the number of cases. And that appears to be the thing that they're still trying to do. But they don't think that throw, they're doing that because still it's connected to basically the lagging indicator will be deaths, right? So when the cases go up, the hospitalizations go up, the deaths go up. So they're seeing the cases go up. Then like in a month, we're going to have 500 more people a day die, right? That's what they're assuming. Like if this was like no longer tethered, those two things, then it wouldn't matter if the cases go up to 200,000, if people are still not dying at an alarming level, but they still are. So I think that's why they're still pointing to cases because like this is usually what happens first and then people die. Okay, but then they're then the politics of it don't make any sense to me right. then <laughs> because what you're saying is that this is entire that that they're taking it entirely apolitically and what i'm telling you is that they are choosing then to pay an entirely political price yes. for the way that they're framing right. it which i don't think i'm wrong about i think that they if if they are the one like maybe maybe i'm being dumb and that the american public would punish them anyway for the number of cases that they would pay the political price regardless right. and that they're just sort of mounting the horse on their own and they're sort of owning it in some way. I think that if there's anything to have been and, and yeah, maybe there's not anything to have been learned. Maybe it's just a, a case of humans are always going to try to control things that are beyond our control no matter what. Uh, but because the difference between what happened uh, from state to state, you know, on a long enough timeline as I've been saying for some time now, the survival rate for the ability of a politician to say, uh, we did it here in this state the right way, as opposed to the way that they did it in that state, right. is going to become virtually impossible. Right. Because when we look at this on the, on the longer timeline, it's just going to look like a flat line uh, from state to state and from region to region. The virus is going to do what the virus is going to do. We can do what we can do, which is largely to get vaccinated and to do testing and try to 
mitigate the spread that way by keeping people away from each other when they we know that they have the virus. But we're still just not testing nearly yeah, enough. That, and that's but at least like this is a step in the right direction, uh, however clumsily they're going about it, right? To get more tests out there so people will basically I think the way you can frame it is give people all the tools available to then take whatever precaution that they, they can take. Because it seems like a lot of people are still wanting to do whatever they want to do. Right, except that they're also trying to force mandates, right? I mean, they're, it, they're doing the testing, but they're also still imposing mandates. Uh, it, it depends on the state, obviously, but New York City is going, as de Blasio is on, on his, his way, way out. out. That is unbelievable. Total total scumbag right, that move, is, by the way. And the time frame is what, like within two, three weeks? Because he's leaving New Year's Day, right? Right. So he's like, by the way, I'm going <laughs> to... I don't know how that's going to really hold in court. I don't know how... I haven't read the actual mandate, but that seems like an uphill bet. Right. To be clear, it's him saying that if you work, then you have to have the vaccine. It's not a question of who you work for right. or where you work, whether it's a public or a private thing, that anybody who has a job has to be vaccinated. And that goes into effect like three days after he leaves right. office or something like that. I don't know. I, I agree they should be doing everything in their power to test as many people as possible. It drives me nuts that my kids are among the five or 10% of the kids in that school who get regularly tested every Thursday when like, there's just no excuse for it. They should that if you want a fucking mandate, if you want a fucking mandate, mandate testing, right? You don't, that, that is a very different thing than mandating a vaccine. Yeah, I think that, that that would be a, m- a much more manageable way to go about it. Because a lot of, I mean, yeah, you're right, Laura. I'm sure people will try to make a similar case, but this is not injecting something into you. They're like trying to gather information. Bob knows all about people refusing tests. Yeah, it's and I think it's completely fucking insane to suggest that it is the same, that uh, asking someone to take a test is the same, is is a violation of their bodily autonomy in the same way that, a vaccine is a violation of your bodily autonomy. I reject that 100%. And I'm not making up a straw man. I know someone who believes that, and I think it's fucking Wait, so then bonkers. In that line of argument is just everybody just assumes all risks and uh, whatever I infect you with, so be it. Like, would they be for that if Ebola like or something like much more... You're going to die. Like, this is basically like Russian roulette with this virus, but like Ebola, you're going to die. So, like, if we implemented some sort of protocol to say if you're coming into this country, you have to be tested, or if you're in this country and there's an outbreak, you have to be tested. Someone would make a bodily autonomy argument with testing Ebola? Yes. Someone, 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 will, sure someone will always be there to make that argument. And I'm not going. <laughs> Uh, to try to play the devil's advocate side for that here today, I think it's very dumb. Yeah. Last point on uh, on the pol- political front, I think whomever's in charge, and now it's Biden and, and the Dems, they have the un- unviable position to where you're going to be blamed for both the bad outcome that's happening, and also any effort to try to prevent the out- the bad outcome to- from happening. So there's no actual winning. Yep. Right. So basically, you're just gonna have to eat shit. Because either way you go about it, because a lot of people are saying we're doing all this shit, even people that are uh, that have gotten the vaccine and stuff, they're like we're doing all this stuff, we're following all these things, and nothing is improving, you know. And so just out of frustration, people will lash out. So 
not a good environment for uh, winning office. Yeah, and certainly not if you're going to embrace that framing. Like, I, I can't get past that. Like, I just, they need to acknowledge that they were wrong to suggest that simply by showing up and doing the competent thing that they were going to get a handle on it. It was it was wishful thinking on the same order of magnitude as Donald Trump saying that uh, the virus will just go away by Easter. Like, it was that, it was right. that level of belief right. in the in the quote unquote science and the idea that it was all just going to magically go away and that if we just listen to the public health officials who by the way have been wrong or publicly wrong at every step of the fucking way along the along the last 2 years but oh if we just if we just all genuflect properly to the FDA and to Tony Fauci then everything is going to work out and that that was the main thing that was keeping this virus from being under control under Trump was a failure to genuflect to the public health officials. That was a, that was a, a fundamental tenet of faith that the Biden administration people had, that just by showing up, that they would either luck into or faith their way into uh, getting out of this thing to the point where they declared the pandemic over shortly after you did. <laughs> That's right. Uh, the good old days. In- Boy, those two months were great. There's no excusing the ongoing arrogance of believing that we're going to fix this simply by through whatever our our, our human measures of control right. are. Like we we can do what we can, but we're not going to we're not going to fix. I will this. say that this is. I don't care how smart or how many degrees you have. This has been a very hard thing to get a handle of. So as long as people are kind of proceed with humility going forward, then that would be fine. But people are still like. People will not do that. People are still kind of like trying to fight battles from like six months ago. It's just like, what can we do now going forward? Let's get the fuck out of this era that we're in. Yeah. I thought someone else was joining us for a second. (laughs) I was so scared. It's now time for America's favorite game show. Did Mark Strassman, CBS News' senior national correspondent, get off a good one? or we can have a biomedical security state. And I can tell you, Florida, we're a free state. Free state? Costly approach. (laughs) Strassman gets off a good one. Another negative, surging positivity rates. Ooh, sorry, Mark. Try again next time. All right, so as you can tell from the introduction there, it's now time for America's favorite game show. I'm going to play actually the entire uh, report from this Sunday's Face the Nation because it also gives us a useful – I probably should have started the segment with this because it's a, it's a report on the variant. But we can finish up our conversation about uh, coronavirus uh, after listening to Strassman on Face the Nation this past Sunday. Far from being done with the Delta variant. Senior national correspondent Mark Strassman has more from Atlanta. In COVID America, Omicron's the Greek letter that means, here we go again. Oh, God. Northwest Philly. No. Are you serious? A new variant, a new call to arms to put shots in them. We're actively taking steps to stay ahead of Omicron. We'd better. Omicron's a shadowy threat. Still unclear whether this highly mutated variant's the most contagious yet. And consider a different worry. Omicron hysteria. It's a potential distraction from New York. We have a much bigger current challenge with the Delta variant. To Washington State. It would be really sad if people lose their lives today 
because they've been killed by the Delta variant while they're worrying about Omicron. Delta is right, dominant. I'm going to pause. I'm going to pause right there. What the fuck is wrong with people? Because Jay Inslee, if- the governor of Washington, just said that it would be a shame <laughs> if somebody died of Delta today because they were worried about Omicron in the future. What the fuck? What the fuck? What is that concern? Does that even right. mean? Right. I don't think How he does knows. one allow concern about Omicron? Does it does that naturally lower your like bo- body's g- defenses? Yeah, it's not like one's the an Delta STD variant? and one's It's as though he's playing some sort of uh, uh, children's fantasy card game yeah. and he's like equipping his mage yes. with defenses against different <laughs> attacks and it, he foolishly puts down the card that says defense against Omicron and picks up the card that says defense against Delta and and fucking three turns later is dead on the I side of the dead road. Three turns later. My God. What the fuck does that mean? It's steel man that for me. What what does he I say? Have no and idea. granted it's it's a clip that they played in the middle of a three minute report. So we have no context. So uh, the problem in large part obviously is on fucking Strassman as usual. Uh, <laughs> I assume that Jay Inslee is not that fucking stupid. But that clip as a framing device for this conversation just makes absolutely right. no sense whatsoever. But also, it, not in the uh, same way as uh, Governor Inslee, but like de Blasio kind of uh, made the same kind of, oh, we're still dealing with this Delta. Th-. It's like you're dealing with this. It's like. It's the same problem. Yeah, it's like all it's of the, the precautions are the same. Right? It's not like, oh, you got to wear this hat all, to yeah. fix this problem. And it's the same thing. Very weird. Uh, do the, is there a potential. Could the Omicron variant and the Delta variant make a baby? Team up? Like, oh, that'd be great. Yeah. Like, what? Let's, let's finish this report here. Omicron. Delta is dominating the U.S. now. 99.9% of this country's current caseload. In 47 states, cases trend up. Roughly 76% of U.S. counties considered high transmission areas. Hotspots? Iowa. Wednesday saw a 2021 record for COVID patients hospitalized, three in four of them unvaccinated. Massachusetts, averaging more than 3,000 new cases a day for the first time since January. And Michigan, COVID hospitalizations almost doubled in one week. A possible storm of community spread because of Thanksgiving. All those travelers and family get-togethers with COVID uninvited but present. It'll be a week, maybe two, before data starts quantifying the infection impact. Also ahead, our second COVID Christmas. What do scientists want? The answer is vaccines, vaccines, and vaccines. Roughly 70% of Americans have had at least one shot. Only about 24% age 18 and up have had boosters. Waning protection is a genuine worry. Even fully vaccinated people can become spreaders after four months. By the way, uh, pause again. That is a nonsense sentence as well, which is that uh, fully vaccinated people can become spreaders a week right. later, not four months right. later. There's there's nothing uh, uh, like, yes, you become – you have less protection. Protection wanes over time. But it's at no point was this – was were any of these vaccines the panacea that they were presented as in the media, right? Which but is, the very first which was a month mistake. of it was presented as like 95 percent. Home run. 
Yeah, it is. My, the, I was telling you about a client of mine is in a study where she gets antibody tested quite frequently. Yeah. And she said after the first whatever, it dropped off like a cliff and then kind of evened okay. out. So it, like that first month, it's like, you're yeah. awesome. And then after that, it drops a lot, but it doesn't continue dropping and at then the a level same rate. Right, but there's nothing special. Strassman seems to suggest here that there's something special that happens after four no, months. Stupid. That then That's you stu- become a spreader of this person. in a way that you couldn't be before. Part. Right, let's finish. Omicron has created one surge already in vaccinations. 2.2 million shots given last Thursday, including more than 1 million boosters. That's the highest single-day total since May. If you are fully vaccinated before June, it's time for you to go get your booster. Omicron has prompted another travel change, this one starting at midnight tonight. International arrivals have to pass a pre-departure COVID test. The window used to be three days, now it's one. And that's regardless of nationality or vaccination status. Margaret? Mark Strassman, thank you. All right, there you have it. He doesn't get off a good one at all. So, Abe, did uh, did Mark Strassman, CBS News' national news correspondent, get off a good one this <laughs> no, week? No, but was the, the one, the, the entirety of the segment? I thought he, maybe I missed... There were okay. a couple. He his first two okay. sentences of the uh, of the thing were... Yeah, it was okay. He tries beginning. to sneak a couple no, things in there to time. get off the good one, but... No, not. Sorry, Mark. Not this time. In COVID America, Omicron's the Greek letter that means, here we go again. A new variant, a new call to arms to put shots in them. No, not this time. Ooh, sorry, Mark. Try again next time. This has been America's favorite game show. Did Mark Strassman, CBS News' senior national correspondent, get off a good one? Circling back, this is a remarkably stupid conspiracy, but uh, going back to what Laurie said about the, the, the them pairing up uh, Omicron and Delta, some conspiracy theory people online are like, those two words are anagram for media control. Yeah. Also, moronic, yeah. Omicron. <laughs> yes. Moronic. I don't know why the communication. I don't like, and this is not on Strassman in particular. So we we close up the Strassman hate, but like that is just one example among right. many that you can find of the media being profoundly stupid about this, and in and in trying to have this conversation in ways that are just completely nonproductive. And I, it's right. just very frustrating right. to me. Is- not an outlier in the way he's presenting the information. I mean, he he has his stupid little goofy stuff, but this is you can flip any channel, like any of the Sunday mornings at the top or the national evening news. They kind of present it the same kind of way. Right. And by the way, the WHO said this is three days old, so I don't know if it, it has changed, but the WHO said that nobody yet has been shown to have died after having gotten... Uh, the Omicron variant. See, Governor Inslee, so, people have their eye on the prize. They're still worried about Delta. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. We're still, I mean, but the, the this variant has been circulating for like over a month now, uh, just because it, was identif- it wasn't identified six weeks ago, but it's been circulating for that long. And nobody's, nobody's they, died they from keep it saying yet. So at least that in a week or two or three, they'll get a better picture of what's going on. But it's still not out of the realm of possibility that, or it's still, not a certainty that this is just going to overtake Delta, right? This could just kind of have a big jump and then just disappear. But 
again, what does that even matter? Right. So it, it matters if, when I was talking earlier about my dumb layman's understanding of the way this works, is that if Omicron becomes the dominant variant and it, it sort of forces Delta to the side, that's very good news because Delta was still killing people at a rate similar or even higher to higher than the other variants, uh, the, the previous right. variants of this disease. If getting the Omicron variant and surviving it as the so far everyone who has gotten it uh, does, apparently, uh, if that affords you protection against reinfection from other variants of this disease, then that actually does ultimately do a good thing, right? That, right. that yes, while it would be better if there were no more variants, right. right? That that would be ideal. But in this one case where Omicron, if Omicron becomes the dominant strain and it's able to force Delta to the side because it's so much more transmissible and it's a more successful virus in that way, right? The, the, from the virus's perspective, the more people that it can infect, the better it is doing from a, a purely evolutionary standpoint. It's a volumes business. Right. Then good, right? Then it is good that more people will right. get this and, and including the ones who have been vaccinated who need that uh, a more durable protection that can be provided by recovering from the virus uh, and the ones who have not been uh, now, so more than ever, it is clear to me that what I what I said a few months ago was either you choose to get vaccinated or you choose to get the virus, and that's the bargain that you're making. That those are your choices. Now, I think that it is perfectly reasonable to say you choose to get vaccinated, and you're probably going to get the virus anyway, because of the way this. I mean, if you go to a fucking Christmas party with 120 vaccinated people, and one person shows up there with the virus and spreads it to more than half of the people yeah. there. There's no, there's no controlling right. this, and we need to drop the arrogance and and drop the idea that it's going to be controlled, and and figure out another way to approach this. So I, we're rounding out. So around maybe in a couple of weeks, it'll be a year since I uh, was uh, diseased by this virus, right? So infection mm. in Happy mid to late December, first shot in March, second shot in April. I'm scheduled to get the booster later this week, so I will have. Are you going to get the same booster as what you had? I will get whatever CVS had, and I think they said they got Pfizer, so I guess, yeah. I was considering trying to mix it up because I heard Moderna's whatever. But basically, I'm literally indestructible. I mean, if someone like me were to get it. We always knew you were indestructible. Literally indestructible, he says. He's he's throwing out insurmountable leads and literally indestructible tonight. And what are people doing where they're all getting this COVID thing? I went to a bar that was packed full of drunk people. I read something this week about how pairing the J&J vaccine with the Pfizer vaccine affords a greater no degree kidding. of protection. There's a study that recently came out with that. So if, if J&J is available to you, don't shy away okay. from that necessarily if you've previously had the Pfizer. This is not financial advice. I keep advice. hearing that if you had the J&J, get an mRNA. But I guess the opposite is also true? Yeah, apparently. Uh, although that's just a study with regards to Pfizer and J&J, not Moderna and J&J. A Bob Dole died today. Not not, not today, today. A few days ago. <laughs> Recently. Yesterday. Was it yesterday? Jesus. Yeah. God damn. We had quite a weekend. We really did. Bob Dole was 98 years old. He was a Senate majority leader uh, for a brief period of time when the Republican wave of 94 uh, gave Republicans both the House and the Senate. He had been in the Senate since... 
the 70s, I think, and before that was a uh, member of the House of Representatives. He had a long he, career. He ran for president a couple of times at least. I think 76 against Ford in them, and then like 96 against Slick Willie. 76, he was the vice presidential candidate, okay, I do but, believe. Okay. There and then uh, he, he ran for president in 80 and 88, never making it past New Hampshire, I don't think. And then again, eventually uh, was nominated uh, for the, the, Republic, the Republican Party in 1996 uh, with Jack Kemp as his running mate. Fell down. He, fell he had down. a very famous falling down, didn't and he? Like he just kind of lost balance. Norm MacDonald fell down. By the way, old then. Right? Yeah. He was old in 1996, 25 years ago. Made a good living uh, doing Viagra and Pepsi ads after, <laughs> after that. Uh, Bob Dole, now, so I don't want to get into the rose-colored glasses thing, and I have no particular love for uh, Bob Dole, the the figure, the, the man, one. the whatever. But uh, reading through a couple of the obituary pieces, the, the retrospectives on him in the last 24 hours, it was striking to me something in particular, which is that his Senate legacy in particular, the things that he liked to point to as his greatest accomplishments as a statesman, included food stamp reform in which he helped broker a deal that broadened access to the SNAP program to millions of Americans, I think in excess of one million Americans in the very first year after those reforms, uh, an additional million people signed up for and were able to receive uh, benefits. This is a Republican, by the way, to be clear. Bob Dole, lifelong Republican, as as much such a party man, in fact, that in 2016 and in 2020, he endorsed and said he would be voting for Donald Trump. Right. Not because Donald Trump uh, represented anything that he agreed with. I mean, th this is how dumb uh, political parties are, you could certainly argue, which is that he largely disagreed with everything that Donald Trump represented except for the uh, large R next to his name and felt right. such fealty to the party that he had no choice but to support Donald Trump. Uh, so, yeah, he's got that that uh, I suppose his soul has to live with on the long run. But also uh, food stamp reform, as I said, he is he credits himself and in, in fact is in large reasonable measure credited with saving Social Security in the 1980s, back when Reagan, who had run against even the notion of Social Security in 1980, found it politically expedient to save the program. Good use of the words enlarged and measure. Thank you. Helped preserve Social Security that when it looked like it was going to be insolvent back in the early 1980s. Uh, as a Republican, to be clear. He also, in the 90s, I think 1990, maybe 91, helped push through the Americans with Disabilities Act that George H.W. Bush signed, something that you would not typically associate with your normal upstanding Republican as somebody who's imposing a great deal of cost and burden on both public and private facilities all right. across the nation. Simply, if you want to open your doors, you have to comply with all of these silly rules about making sure that all of the disabled folks can get in there. That's got to be like one of the last, like, last great American laws. All the other stuff's just like nibbling at the edges. Yeah. And, and that sort of that, looking back at Bob Dole's legacy through the prism of those three particular achievements reminded me that a great deal, in fact, of the defining pieces of legislation 
that you sort of come up with off the top of your head have been ushered through by sort of surprising coalitions, whether it's on the the, polit- the strictly political legislative side or also in terms of the president that helped push them through and ultimately signed them. Yeah, Democrats and Obama passed health care reform, true, but of course that was a plan developed by the Heritage Foundation in the 1980s, which is right. a conservative think tank, and originally implemented by uh, Mitt Romney as Romney Care in Massachusetts. Uh, the Civil Rights Act was passed by Democrats in 1964 after Kennedy was killed. LBJ, Democrat, signs that at a time that the Democratic Party was not particularly amenable to uh, notions of civil rights, uh, one would think. And that was, in fact, the, the truth of that was borne out by the complete realignment of the political parties over the 20 years that followed, not to mention the Nixon people being very explicit with the, the Southern, Southern strategy. strategy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and yeah, sure, you see that the sort of reactionary element of the Republican Party reacting to that. Uh, but on the face of it, at the time, Democrats passing civil rights reform, it was it was not an easy thing for them to do, let's right. say. I mean, they um, fractured the party. Right. That's it why it, they it were fractured able the to... party. It forced a realignment of, of the right. parties. Right. And uh, also, getting back... I, up ahead, until sorry. I don't know, I don't know when, like maybe Newt Gingrich's era, but even after that, probably until like the early 2000s, people can point to those moments where they did something together. Like the few people that did vote on the infrastructure bill that are on the Republican side, they can't really talk that up because that's being used against them. And in a weird, perverse way, the people who voted against it are still talking up the parts of the bill that's helping their communities. So like they get right. to have it both ways. It's, it's a very weird time we're kind of going through. Right. Where and that's what I'm exactly what I'm trying to highlight here with this stupid run through the, the different pieces of legislation. George W. Bush, of all the people, did Medicare reform in his first term. Right. Which is surprising. Right. Like it is a, a widely celebrated piece of legislation that that seemed to actually do good was Medicare reform and, and helped with prescription drugs and whatnot. Uh, no Child Left Behind also was a George W. Bush thing that uh, obviously had problematic long-term implications and was largely overturned by the subsequent administration. But a Republican doing national education reform in a way that doesn't just like abolish the education department right. is right. is almost unthinkable. But the George W. Bush administration did it uh, with the help of Democrats. And on the negative side of the ledger, it was the Obama Justice Department that failed to hold Wall Street banks to account after their uh, shenanigans that, right. that led to the financial crisis. Bill Clinton, Democrats passed the crime bill with Republican right. support. Right. Even Trump passed a big pile of money for historically black colleges and universities, uh, sort of out of character. And did he do it step. as a troll? Yeah, right. maybe. Uh, <laughs> but he also did the uh, first step thing with the federal side of prison reform, right? Right. So for better or worse, hard ideologues don't generally get blanket permission to do whatever the fuck they want. And the things that are achieved in this country, and yeah, you can go through that whole list that I just did, and you can point to ways in which the things that actually were achieved had negative long-term outcomes. I'm not denying that. I'm not saying that it was all perfect when politicians were crossing across the aisle and actually getting things done. But if anything is going to get done, if we're going to nibble at the edges even and do things that, that... can be pointed at as good, at least in part. It's right. when our shitty-ass politicians work at seemingly cross-purposes, but still together. 
to wrangle concessions and compromises out of one another and actually do stuff. And you can you just go back to the fucking beginning. Like we have the example of the Constitutional Congress. We have the example of awful compromises being made that codified just morally abominable realities into the founding of this nation at the at the same time that otherwise you just couldn't have had it, right? We just wouldn't have had the resulting thing. And maybe if you're a complete black-pilled nihilist, you think it would have been better if they couldn't have come to some sort of terms and if the if the the confederacy of of states had had failed from the get go uh but i don't think that that's a particularly productive way of uh, reimagining the past and i think it's better to actually try uh to do things even even when it means sacrificing some of your absolute principles as as you would imagine them in the classroom or or in your party's platform and instead actually trying to do stuff. It's kind of hard to put incremental change on a fundraiser, right? So you have to, that's why everything's got to be big instead of just like, just take what you can, what the defense gives you, as it were. And, and, right, and I wonder how much, how much of what I would appreciate about the career of Bob Dole and any of the other things that I just went through there is just impossible in the media environment, in the, in the social media environment of, today in the in the, the way that the news cycle works right. where the people who are rewarded are the hard ideologues the most powerful people are not the ones who can actually cross the aisle and get anything done it's the ones who are as steadfast and absolute in their hatred of the other side and in their obstinacy in even crediting the other side with operating in good faith the AOCs and the and the Lauren Boberts and the Elon Omars that those are and then the Madison Cawthorns and and the Kevin McCarthy's these are the people who have the most success at the national political level now and I don't know where we go from there but they, I don't they, know they do have it because whatever they're selling it resonates with people right so it's not like they're just doing this and then people are begrudgingly for it. People right, seem to like this. What, uh, what I'm saying is people aren't any fundamentally different now than they were 60 years ago when Bob Dole first entered the Senate, right? Right, like but when Bob Dole was in the Senate, you couldn't comment about him doing something stupid while you're in the shitter, right? Like now, right, that's what people, I'm saying is that yeah. the, the, the environment now right. no longer provides for the sort of thing right. that Bob Dole and many others were able to do over the last – 240 years and i wonder right. if that's just a permanent feature of modern life abortion is a like and and the, there was a case argued before the supreme court and i don't even think it's particularly worth delving into until this this summer when the june yeah. decision will be rendered um because there's nothing new to be learned i don't think except that it it looks like something is going to happen. Uh, they're not just going to turn around and say, yes, Roe v. Wade is totally fine. You don't have to worry about it. Before I read some of the hearing stuff, I thought it was going to be 5-4 to keep things as they are because any, doing anything else would be disruptive. But thinking like Roberts and Kavanaugh would join the liberals to get it to 5-4. But yeah. after like hearing some of the them sounding out some really stupid ideas, I don't know well, anymore. Part of it is that Breyer insisted on this. Breyer framed all of his questions around whether or not we need to always respect precedent. And it's just too easy to go back through the history of the court and find examples where respecting precedent would have resulted in absolutely unacceptable outcomes, right? right? No, and that's so true. You, you cannot – if, if – 
if Breyer is going to concede in the way that he's framing the debate that there is no fundamental constitutional right to an abortion, then if if that's the framing that Breyer is going to serve up to the conservatives on the court, then why wouldn't they take it and run with it? Because it, if Roe did in fact write into the 14th Amendment a, a new right that previously did not exist, then it is not incumbent upon the conservatives on the court to respect that as a precedent, right? If it was unconstitutionally decided, there's nothing about the notion of stare decisis that demands that it not be overturned. Right, but if, I mean, I don't know what Breyer, how he flushed out his argument. Basically, the thing that I said a while ago where I just can't see how they can get around this point where any past instance where a precedent-setting case was overturned, it was to expand rights, not not restricted for backwards, right? So like the Plessy versus Ferguson gets changed to the Brown right, versus except what, that the Right, except that the conservative viewpoint would simply say this is a competing rights argument and that we insist that the, there there is a competitive right that the fetus has, that no, they would call true. the child has. But, but they kind of sidestep what is at the heart of the competing interest argument, which is viability, right? And Roe versus Wade and uh, and the Casey versus Pennsylvania was basically just talking that point. Like, at what point is it viable? And now the state has an interest in this fetus, right? But before that, they don't, right? And now right. this 15-week thing is no man's land, so to speak, because it's not viable. Nobody's arguing that this is a viable fetus, and so if the 15 weeks is okay, why not six or five or – right? Well, because I mean, viability was probably never a great standard to begin with. And it, if you're going to when have – you're talking about competing interests because there's no competition when it's not viable. This is just like another organ. It might as well – right? I mean I don't know. It has a soul, this, Abe. What's right. that? It has a soul. Right. Oh, is uh, that what it mm. – But so, then 15 weeks is not sufficient then. It should just be – Soul. Right. So, but that's the thing is that now we get into, and the reason that I brought abortion up in the first place is that you immediately get into these absolutes, right? These right. these absolute inviolable moral certainties that people have around this subject if you are in the activist class on it. And on the one hand, you have the shout your abortion crowd who says that no matter what, a woman should be able to terminate the pregnancy and that there's this is not, in fact, a, a, a question of moral magnitude for anyone involved beyond uh, the woman herself. And, and actually not even for the woman herself, that it should just be a medical act that is celebrated. And on the other hand, you have people who are absolutely certain that after the moment of conception that God has right. intervened in some way and, and that is a life. And if we're going with my a question of personal biases, I think it's silly not to say that life doesn't start at conception. Like just from, just from a purely philosophical, not, not a legal standpoint, not from any, but like life begins at conception. That's sort of like oh, the whole. In this, three months, I'll be 40 years old in that uh, calculation, right? Well, we, don't, we count from birth up, right? But I, I see what you're saying in a philosophical point, but for the point of abortion, that's not, I mean, you can't you can't go back to conception right but so that's where I, that's, I'm trying to get there which is that the I think that there might actually be something approaching a strong public consensus around a European model of abortion I mean there are there are countries in Europe where abortion is basically outlawed after 15 weeks barring the usual exceptions for the life of the mother why 15 that's what the reason 
I understand the heartbeat six. I understand viability at whatever 22 but what is 15 in part because it's just a a, a utilitarian question of when do most abortions happen which is right uh, and that's the other in, thing in, so, in excess of 90 percent of all abortions happen before the 15th week of pregnancy anyway what i'm saying the the supreme court is going to make a drastic about face almost 50 years after the fact right and it's going to achieve very little and it's going to do a lot of harm so who are these pro-life people who are going to be happy where 90% is still perfectly legal of abortions, right? And you could probably get, if you have it at 15 weeks, you could probably move some of those abortions earlier and it may be 95%, right? Right. What I'm absolutely certain is that it's not up to the Supreme Court to codify into law a viability standard or a particular arbitrary number before what is the accepted viability standard, which is at this point like 21 weeks or something, right? Yeah. As the science advances, then presumably at some point, once the lungs are like the whole, apparently the big hurdle is the lungs. And once you can get the lungs formed enough uh, that you can basically keep the thing alive and and grow it to completion outside the body. Not the state, by the way, the woman, right? The state is not keeping anything alive. No, literally the state, yes, that once the lungs are formed, you can get it out of the woman, she can evict it as she sees fit, and then the state or the hospital or whatever, whoever is, is in charge of, shut the fuck up, cat. Oh, maybe the cat Fred feels very passionately too. about this. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I just don't, I don't think it's the job of the Supreme Court to decide what is the answer here. That is true, but they should not unleash mayhem, which is what this would do. Because then it's not going to end at 15 weeks. They're going to keep on going back and back. They're going to come up with draconian bullshit laws about charging the the woman with some nonsense, manslaughter. It's going to be a disaster in like the few states where they're going to push this. I mean, a majority of the states will probably keep it as is. But if you're poor in one of these states, you're fucked. Yeah. And and the, like I said, the reason that I bring it up is because I think that there is something approaching a consensus in, in a Bob Dole sort of way, in a, in a just getting shit done sort of way, in a more sane place for the last 50 fucking years. Legislation would have been passed at, a, at the national level, and you could have codified something like uh, an abortion law at the federal level into place that would have avoided this very uh, negative outcome that we're going to see here. That has been the goal of conservative jurisprudence and and conservative thought around the court for 50 fucking years. And did you just think that the march was inevitable toward the glorious future when, well, yeah, when this would no longer go matter? backwards, right? Isn't that why? And also, by the way, if that were to happen, let's say end of June, they, it is a 6-3. They undo – they try to sidestep some of the viability stuff, but they say, uh, what is it, Mississippi or whatever? You can do whatever you want. A lot of mayhem. People are protesting. There's a, a movement to pass a law on the federal level. Would the courts respect that in a few years where they say, no, you can't you – know, the states actually are in a better position to decide this issue? Like would a, a law on the federal uh, level prevent anything? I'm not, I don't know, I'm not a lawyer, but like, it seems to be like we're causing a lot of nonsense harm for no benefit. Right, so the, the, who should be in, like, what you're saying is that, it, there ought, you that there, ought, you... there ought to be a constitutional right to, to an abortion that simply, like, I, and I know that it feels weird and bad to say it, but it, 
It was a bad fucking court decision. And people as far afield as Antonin Scalia and Ruth Bader Ginsburg agree with me that Roe v. Wade was improperly decided on the merits and that simply inventing out of whole cloth the right to an abortion because of concerns about privacy raised by the 14th Amendment was a mistake. And that there, must have, there must have been another path. And, and that is, it should not be up to the Supreme Court to decide issues like this. But it, again— it's been 50 years. Right. You, now I understand what and, you're saying. You're coming you, from a purely practical standpoint you that you don't want— your position. This was the compromise. This was the compromise. Don't dump right? the big fucking porta potty into this local swimming pool. I right. agree with you. It would be better if and, that and, didn't happen. And you're happen. right because the, what it, the, the gay one, uh, court like seven, eight years ago, the decision, that was also— uh, fuzzy logic, but th- they're never going to go back on that either, right? The reason that they're never going to go back on that, though, is because states all across the country are passing law, passed laws that said that gay marriage is fine, right? right? The reason that they're not going back on that is because there was an actual change. And if you look at polling on abortion, it basically hasn't changed. Right. And in fact, the pro-life side, which I don't like to call them that, the, 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 the anti-abortion side, has actually gained traction in the last 20 years because people have a squickiness about abortion. Right. And it, like, it's just a, like no matter what your ethical situation is and what you actually think about it in an academic sort of way, you feel fucking weird about right. abortions if you're a normal human being, I right. think. And that's and, fine. But it doesn't override right, someone else. This is their life totally, that you're fucking it's with. It's totally you know? fine. But that's why I think there's actually something out there that approaches a consensus on this, which is that you could do it the way that France or that Norway or that any other progressive European country does it and say the first trimester, abortions are uh, safe, legal, and rare, hopefully. And it would, and it is. It's 100% incumbent upon, and we've said this before. I don't know why I insist on talking about it again, but it's incumbent upon the the, the pro life side to get over their fucking abstinence horseshit. With like, we need to get on board with uh, uh, widely available and free contraception for whoever wants it or needs it. Long acting. Right. Yeah. It's not going to happen. Uh, but if the goal is to reduce the number of abortions, then the goal needs to. Then the the only correct approach to that is to reduce the number of unwanted pregnancies. Right. But it's also a sex issue, so that's why they won't go with that. But yeah, that, if you're, they're being practical, then get ahead of the problem. Okay, one last quick thing here. We could even call this uh, philosophy class with Abe, Ooh. if we wanted to. That means it's the last thing, right? That's right. Switzerland, Abe, has approved an assisted suicide capsule. Uh, Abe, do you remember the great hit show from Fox at the turn of the millennium called Futurama? Yes, of course. At the the pilot... Omicron Percy I ate being a planet in the show Futurama. The the pilot episode of Futurama included a gag in which Bender, the bending robot, a depressed drunk, walks himself into a what looks like a telephone booth, but in the year 3000 is in fact a suicide booth and puts a quarter in the machine which he then the 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 best joke which i will describe now instead of being able to show it to anyone is that he has the the dvd he has the quarter on a string and so he puts it into the suicide machine and then rips the machine off so that he can get his quarter back the joke being of course that he's not going to need that quarter in in very short order uh 
Anyway, they had suicide phone booths in the future, and that future is now, at least if you're in Switzerland. Switzerland has just legalized a new way to die by assisted suicide. The country's medical review board has authorized the use of the Sarco Suicide Pod, which is a 3D-printed portable (laughs) coffin-like capsule with windows that can be transported to a tranquil place for a person's final moments of life. I'm going to keep reading from this article. Conventional assisted suicide methods have generally involved a chemical substance. The inventor of Exit International, which is the name of the company that's selling the suicide pods, Exit International, told the website Swiss Info that his death pod offers a different approach. Quote, we want to remove any kind of psychiatric review from the process and allow the individual to control the method themselves, he said. Our aim is to develop an artificial intelligence screening system to establish the person's mental capacity. Naturally, there is a lot of skepticism, especially on the part of psychiatrists. Uh, Quick break from the article. Oh, so you want to develop an AI that is smart enough, that has an algorithm... That can determine whether or not the human who's asking if it's okay for them to kill themselves <laughs> is going to be permitted to kill themselves. For it. Uh, I don't know if AI is, is going to be a reliable it gets better. indicator. better. Don't have the bo- Keep reading. All right. Uh, the pod can be acti- activated from inside and can give the person intending to die various options for where they want to be for their final moments. The machine can be towed anywhere for the death, he said. It can be in an idyllic outdoor setting or in the prom- premises of an assisted suicide organization, for example. To qualify to use the pod, <laughs> the person who wants to die must answer an online survey that is meant to prove whether they are making the decision of their own accord. If they pass, they will be told the location of the pod and given an access code. All right, pause again. What country is this? So I'm going to take a BuzzFeed quiz. What country is this? Yeah, Switzerland. I have to take a BuzzFeed quiz to find out whether or not I qualify no, to, to use the a, pod. you have to take a Are You a Robot quiz where yeah. you click the traffic lights. What are these questions? Like, are you over 13? Do you want to kill yourself? <laughs> like, I want to know if, like, a lot of the things that I fill out for my children online, if it ends with... Uh, are you filling this out for someone else? <laughs> and, and, uh, is it a trick question trying to get you to admit to attempted murder in that case? Uh, not clear. All right, moving on. Once inside, the person intending to end their life will have to answer pre-recorded questions and press a button that will start the process of flooding the interior with nitrogen, which will click, quickly reduce the oxygen level inside from 21% to 1%. The person will get into the capsule and lie down, he said, adding, it's very comfortable. He said the person will likely feel disoriented or euphoric. The whole thing takes about 30 seconds, he said. Death takes place through hypoxia and hypocapnia, oxygen and carbon dioxide deprivation, respectively. There is no panic, no choking. In 2020, around 1,300 people died by assisted suicide in Switzerland, almost all by ingesting liquid sodium pentobarbital, which puts a patient into a deep coma before killing them. Assisted suicide is also legal in the Netherlands, Germany, Belgium, Luxembourg, and Canada. I'm looking right now at the suicide rates per country, and Switzerland, I missed it, but it's like 14%, which is on par with the rest of like Western Europe and Northern Europe. By the way, the Sarco suicide pod is expected to be operational in 2022. 
Uh, the company has made three prototypes, but one was not aesthetically pleasing, so it will not be used, it says. The company has not yet announced how much it will cost to use this service. By the way, this is slightly inappropriate, but do you think the uh, these pods will have the blurb like this article does? Like if you're thinking of – like, will they give you the option to call that number that this <laughs> that's article right. that's been talking about suicide? Speaking of which, are we like uh, somehow legally required to give that just by saying the word? Because I don't think I've heard the word – suicide on media without hearing I mean, whether by the way or not if you're we're legally obligated you just kind of should responsible yeah, media don't kill yourself please otherwise. don't kill yourself yes. people it's 800-273-8255 if you by the way are seeking help it's on the heels of saturday's game we have to talk about everyone not killing themselves we have so much to look forward to by the way one of the uh three prototypes i just quickly was reading there said that it didn't make the cut because it was not aesthetically pleasing. This is like who's right. saying this? The people that are, are going to kill themselves or the people who are making the product? Right. And the question there being that if you make an non aesthetically pleasing suicide pod, uh, you're really going to have to want to kill yourself. Like, does that not, in right. fact, like the more aesthetically pleasing it is, does that encourage someone to? Kill themselves, and right. is that and in fact the goal? Also, I'm thinking, just thinking out loud here, and I think the you reading the number absolves me of any further responsibility. But how hard is it to kill yourself? Why are you going through all of this, all these steps? I got to answer a stupid online thing. Well, no, it's nice because if you want to kill yourself, but you don't want to burden someone with like finding your body or whatever, oh. you set up one of these. Does the AI so handle that too? They, I'm sure there's people who work for them that, yeah, once you're dead, they come collect your coffin. This is a great idea. I saw, I, I saw a documentary about one of these weird countries that has this, and the current system works. They sit you down, they give you a – and usually it's not somebody who's, like, going through some sort of psychological distress. They're just like, I'm going to die from this cancer thing. Fuck it. Just let's end it now. And they have a whole thing. They get the family. They drink something. Yeah, but sometimes – People who don't have cancer want to kill themselves. Oh, okay. They shouldn't. Right. You know, with your right. phone so, number and so everything. So you keep saying that they shouldn't. I don't think that Switzerland necessarily agrees with you. And that's yeah. why. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that I necessarily agree with myself either. I'm just saying words. But like, the point is when it's the cancer people, it's like this expected. Right. thing that the family is kind of on board with. Right. But it's not always the case, but it's still rude to be a corpse. Right. True. <laughs> I uh I framed this as a discussion in a philosophy class with Abe. Uh Lori has said some interesting things here in that context. I I do not think that we should be attempting to deliver suicide to the people in the most aesthetically pleasing right. way possible or that we should be handing over the evaluation for whether or not a person deserves the, the right to kill themselves to some sort of future algorithm or AI that is smart enough to make those sorts of decisions. It I'm makes still me not very clear uncomfortable. What problem this solves? I guess, like Laurie's saying, that I guess it removes a human, yeah, but eventually. Trauma for your fucking friends. It, no, and... but assisted suicide as a general rule solves that problem. Yeah, that's This what I'm weird saying. thing where you can, like, 
get hitched to the back of the company's F-150 and they'll drive you out to the cliffs or whatever so that you can say goodbye as you see fit that way. I guess that's the problem that they're trying to solve so that you don't have to die in such a clinical setting and that you can still die by your own hand right. uh, without burdening your loved ones, assuming you have those. I don't know. I uh, I have a strong aversion to suicide as a general rule. Of course, I have not been diagnosed with any uh, painful right. and long-lasting and fatal diseases recently that would make me question uh, that my ethical commitment to continuing to experience life. Yeah, if you don't have terminal illness and you don't have, I don't know, depression or whatever it is people have, just stick it out. It's pretty nice. Right. But the the, the solution to depression, right, the, the, the solution to depression should also not be uh, take this online right. quiz and find out if you qualify right. to kill Who's yourself. Who's the target audience for this, right? I, like, it's just making sure that you're not being coerced. That's all right. that is, it sounds like. This seems, doesn't sound like it's a should you that, kill yourself quiz. Right. And I think... And and there are people who would disagree with this entirely. I think that society, that that the world has a compelling interest in not simply letting people who want to kill themselves uh, kill themselves. That, that, right. that, that there is a do you there's think, an ethic in the way there. Do you think it would be unethical if people paired this suicide movement with uh, the need for certain organs? Like, would that ruin this whole movement? Like, if they're like, ah, if you're going to kill yourself with this. Uh, perfectly functioning organ why don't you come to you know this part of the world and we'll take you and you know th that would never work right Where they right and then you get into things. like that that then you're getting into weird coercive stuff right. where like you're if i can save 11 lives if i can save 11 lives by donating all of my various organs and i can give sight to the blind right. uh, by by killing myself and ending my miserable existence then am i not ethically required in fact to do so right but then uh, would the people be would they accept that they're like oh that's kind of fucked up that we're getting all this positive stuff from this negative you have to accept it but then you have to pay it forward within like three months so you have to oh, go get in your own suicide pod okay. and save <laughs> save a further 11 lives until we have all donated all of our organs <laughs> to each other and then by about 2045 or so because of the way uh, exponential math works we're all just fucking dead maybe and it started it started with just three suicide pods in sweden <laughs> or switzerland Maybe this is the uh, long con. You know, they're using the vaccines and the abortion stuff to deny people bodily autonomy so that they can say, well, you guys accepted those two uh, arguments and now we'll come for your organs. I don't know. But don't kill yourself, people. We got more episodes. That's right. There's more CIB to come. You wouldn't want to miss that. You've been listening to Cast Iron Brains. A podcast with Bob and Abe with many, many hundreds of thousands right. of more episodes to come. We can never stop now. <laughs> the burden on the show here. to go oh, is, uh, to, to keep going that. is too much. <laughs> you fucked it up, Abe. We were all ready to be done. Find the show on Facebook or Twitter in fucking perpetuity. Or head over to <laughs> castironbrains.com or brainiron.com still trying to get some merch together a year and a half later uh maybe we'll do that after the christmas bills all come due and we we can see what's left over 
Opening and closing themes of the show were composed by Mark Gillig. You can find his band, a lovely rock and roll band, at T-E-T-R-A-M-E-R music.com. That's Tetramer music.com. I'm sure that uh, either one of their available albums for purchase would make a lovely holiday gift for your loved ones. Everyone loves physical media. Actually, I think you can only buy the MP3s. But uh, maybe, I don't know. Get a hold of Mark and get a hard copy of the CD. Uh, what else? Abe, you been, what have you been up oh, to? Oh, I have, I have, Abe, I thought of you oh. when I saw that quarterback fake slide. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> On the way out here, let's talk about that. What was that? Was that what Pitts, school was that? Pittsburgh? Was that Pitt? Yeah, yeah, one of those schools. Yeah. yeah. By the so way, the can, can he pick it? Can he pick it? Obviously, we're a sports podcast, but you don't want to leave anybody out. Uh, but the rule in football is that if the quarterback begins to slide, if anyone touches him after that point, there's a 15-yard right. penalty. Right. And so that's the, it, NFL the inevitable rule, right? outcome. Is there a college football rule? I'm sure there is. Because it seems like they just let this person slide. I want to say slide, but uh, let him not slide. Yeah. So he, this guy, goes into a fake. Slide. He begins he sort to of, slide, knowing pretends that... Pretends to slide. Did you see it, Abe? I did see it. I did okay. think... So, I did think that that was a uh, low-character move. Like, they're, 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 these people on defense, they're worried, like what you said, Bob, yeah. of this penalty, right? Because they're trying to protect this quarterback. And for you to violate that agreement where they'll let up because you're giving yourself up and then take advantage of that? Mm-mm. Yeah, I thought you'd hate it and it... Made me feel good because I was mad at you, but I also hate it. But it it reminded me of earlier this year, last year. When the hell are we? Um, the guy who didn't call a fair catch. Yes. And they kind of acted like he did. Yeah. That's Any, different somehow to me. It, yeah. Anything where you are trying to abuse a rule meant to protect you, that is not cool. So should there be a, a rule put in place that you cannot deke, you cannot pretend to slide, and no, then he should just go be on? down where he slid. Like they should mark the ball right. down where and he... unsportsmanlike conduct. Mark him back fifteen yeah. yards. <laughs> Total douche. Fifteen. I don't know. I think it should just be down. I think, I think you can either accept the fifteen yard uh, penalty for being a dick who pretended to slide, or you can take. You can stand there and take one good hit from their strongest linebacker. <laughs> That's right. Those are the options. Or they'll just say, well, accept the outcome of this play, but you are now uh, no longer protected by this rule you try to uh, bypass. So That's going right. forward, <laughs> slide rule call. is off. There's a big, a big light around the scoreboard turns off or something for the rest of the game, and it's open season on the quarterback from the shoulders up. An outlaw. You go to any movies this weekend, Dave? I what, went to go see into? Will Smith's latest Oscar attempt, King Richard, with uh, the Venus and Serena Williams kids. I don't know. Yeah. How was that? He had a lot of kids. It looks like he'll probably win or get like front runner status because he just kind of was like going for it the whole time. His accent was not, I don't know. Seems like he was trying to sound like some guy from like the 1800s or something. Like the, he was kind of like leaning too heavily into the black dialect. Yeah, it made me very uncomfortable. Right. Like, and that's very silly because we're talking about the Fresh Prince of Bel Air, right? And and I'm somehow made uncomfortable by Will Smith doing like a traditional 
American black accent. Yeah. But I can't yeah, deny but that's it. That's not. That's I cannot not deny that I. What do you Where mean? Where is he from? The, the the father is. Yeah. He's like from, I don't know, the South somewhere. Yeah. But I at the end, you know, with these um, movies about real life people, at the end where they're running the credits as people are leaving, they have real life footage that they cut in. And. I heard the King Richard guy, and he didn't sound like. But that was only like a few seconds. So, are you telling me Will Smith like blacked it up in the <laughs> something it's to the that southernness effect. of it? It's yeah. how southern it is right. that makes it off-putting because Will Smith's always been, you know, black, right? right. But he's not southern at right. all, right? And that's what feels weird. Sort of like Les Mi- not Les Miles. Holy oh. shit, um, Brian Kelly. Kelly. Yes. <laughs> It's like, no, no, no. Just, you don't have to talk like that. That's right. You can just talk your most, regular the way. The most uncomfortable Southern accent since Hillary Clinton oh, was, yes. was Brian yes. Kelly yes. trying to do Southern. That's what it is. It's the fake Southern that just feels weird. It does. It Unless does. British people it's do because it, and it's then playing, they're great. It's because it's playing down. It's playing dumber. Like right. we, we so But when completely, British people do it, they're so good at we it. We completely associate that sound with dumber and that is in right. part a uh, function of media in the way that southern people have been portrayed in media for the last couple of generations yeah the country uh, pumpkin, but, yeah right there's just something about even even will smith playing a southern black man it just feels awkward i also uh i'm like a few episodes behind on uh, succession it's getting silly at least in the third, fourth episode where I'm at. I don't know if it gets better, but like, it's becoming like, I don't know. We'll see how it ends. I think it's we're episode, one episode six. Behind. We're behind. Episode six is one where they, the framing of it is that the Roys go to a secretive Republican retreat, like a think tank oh. sort of convention, mm-hmm. and they're going to pick the next Republican nominee for president at that retreat, like ahead of the primaries. Like I basically see. all of the party elites get together and they decide who it's and i found that episode completely fucking absurd like this is maybe like the back one of, room like they had back in like right a hundred years and I, ago i did not care for that episode whatsoever but they followed it up with a couple of good episodes where they focus on the relationship between the siblings okay and we're we're one episode behind now so we need to watch just this, last last night's episode this last oh, night's okay. episode you further before ahead. the but finale one more next silly week episode before it gets better yeah yeah and it's still like it's i don't think that this show this show had a certain sort of formula that that really worked and made and sort of tricked people into thinking that it was about more than it was really about that it was like heavier and more important in some way this is not an important show at all this is this is a very minor show that happens to be made in a way that is that looks really great and is highly digestible uh, but I don't think it's a great show by any means. But it's entertaining enough to, to watch. Nothing else is Sure. Like, Speaking no. of which, I'll put a link in the show note. Waste one of your free articles this month if you're not a subscriber to the New Yorker magazine. Ooh. There's a Jeremy there's a profi- there's a profile of the actor uh, Jeremy Strong who plays so weird. Kendall Roy in the show. It's a absolute must read actor profile. I read Three paragraphs before I was taken back to this work stuff. Somebody called me, so I couldn't finish. But he came across at the top of the magazine article as a tryhard. But um, I don't know. The best thing about reading celebrity profile type 
pieces is when you get the sense that the person writing the profile is highly skeptical and perhaps entirely disdainful of the person that they're profiling. Uh, and and Jeremy Strong is like imagines himself to be like some sort of great method actor. Like right. he 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 goes fully into it. He does not appear to necessarily hold to the possibility that succession is a comedy yes. at all. It seems like everybody around him thinks that, but he right. thinks it's some serious piece of work. Right, and maybe that's what he needs in order to play this character, uh, who's an absurd character, yeah. who's as a and 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 good because we're getting a great performance out of this guy at the cost, possibly, <laughs> of him actually being as dumb as the character uh, that he's portraying, but. Absolutely. You only get three free reads of The New Yorker on any given month. Trust me, this one is worth your click uh, and your half an hour or whatever, however long it takes you to get through it. Uh, we uh, haven't really watched much of anything. We're we watched that two, 30 coins show. A couple more episodes of oh, 30 coins. I'm an episode and a half into that. Yeah, what'd you think of the first episode? That's so bad. The, 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 what is she, like... Uh veterinarian or whatever she makes a lot of poor choices in the first episode she's like harassing that mayor guy but it's not bad so far yeah it's a good show looking forward to finishing that and succession and then yeah we won't have much to do without college oh, football we have a lot to do no college football on saturdays there's not a whole lot of fun to be found in the nfl right. for my favorite teams anyway oh yeah Abe, you, uh, you got anything else for us tonight? Nope. I guess that's all we've got for tonight, then. And we will talk to you next time. Later. First, I'm going to tell Abe about... Uh, we were getting ready. I was getting ready for the show and realized that the internet wasn't working. There was no internet! No kidding. There's, There's no internet! <laughs> trying to troubleshoot the problem, I plugged my machine directly in using the... Ethernet cable, you know, so see if it's just a Wi-Fi problem or if it's actually a, a, another sort of problem. Right. I, I turned the modem off and back on again. I did all of the important things that you can do to solve the problem. Still couldn't figure it out. And I got into the router settings because I have sort of, the, you know, a base level, very amateurish understanding of how to fix these things when problems arise. So I get into the router settings as the administrator of the router. And the button... That's talking about the Wi-Fi says uh, Wi-Fi disabled. I'm like, oh, the fuck is the Wi-Fi disabled? So I click the thing. And I'm like, all right, let me toggle the Wi-Fi on, right. and then the Wi-Fi will no longer be disabled. But sadly, there's nothing. There's no button. There's no the the toggle switch is grayed out. So it's 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 oh. not an option for me. So it's just telling me that the Wi-Fi is disabled, but I'm not allowed to toggle it back on. So I get Googling. I'm like, Netgear router, Wi-Fi won't turn on, right. won't get undisabled, or whatever stupid thing I put into Google. And it led me to a Netgear forum. Somebody experienced this precise problem five years ago or whatever, and it's like, good news. I have the solution. What happens is that in the, the person's experience on the Netgear forum was that uh, they had accidentally rested a TV remote on their router which then clicked a physical button that they didn't even know existed wow. that turned off the Wi-Fi signal, that turned off the Wi-Fi radio. Hmm. And uh, what I realized 
I didn't press any of the physical buttons, but my fucking 18-year-old cat has been hanging out no on the on the router she likes lately it there. Well, because well, it's well. been cold. A cat did it. So it's she been likes cold. It there. It's warm. But the router gets warm, and so she camps out on the fucking router wow. and pushed the button that turns off the Wi-Fi radio. Also, she hates this podcast. Yeah, so. she's trying to silence us. She's one of those liberal elites, no doubt. <laughs> she came in to talk about abortion. <laughs> trying to silence us as we speak our truth here on this podcast. Did you update the uh, five-year-old forum to say, also, it could be a cat, not just remote. <laughs> it could be yeah, a cat. Forward, Bob. Come on, someone else is going to do Clitoris, Abe. Oh it's my a clitoris. god! So it's 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 an expl- it's a whole clitoris as removed from the human body uh, is what that looks like. Uh, okay, it's, it's the, the presentation is great, but what is <laughs> going on? Like why <laughs> is this? Uh, 